0: Welcome to Weighing In on Happy, the only podcast that dives deep into discussions around weight, eating disorders, mental health, body image, intuitive eating, wellness, confidence, and so much more. Each week you'll be coached through different stories and strategies on how to start living your best life today. So, if you're ready, here's your host, Victoria Evans. Hey you guys, welcome back to Weighing and Unhappy. I am Victoria Evans, an intuitive eating coach, and I'm joined today by Blake Bayer. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here.
0: So you are easily one of the most recognizable names in spoken word and slam poetry, and you're the author of If My Body Could Speak. And you've been featured in Glamour, El India, TEDx Minneapolis. Media, which is the um, National Identity Disorder Association, if you guys don't know the abbreviation, The Huffington Post, Everyday Feminism, Medium, The Mighty, The Body is Not an Apology, Right Bloody, but like fun poetry, A+. Plus. I'm going to stop now before I pass out from trying to name mm-hmm. all the different things. So that's just a few off of your resume. So welcome. I am so truly honored to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Victoria.
0: So as I've said before, and I've shared on my platforms, you were absolutely instrumental in my own recovery. Mm. You are so raw. You really are so just convicting in the way you speak. And you speak about topics that people don't really dive into. You talk about sexual assault, and mental illness, and eating disorder recovery, and sexuality, and healing. And you're just so open about it. And it must take such strength. Mm. And so giving some context of your story, can you kind of share how you were able to really step into that and start sharing your poetry and your word from your past experiences?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, to tell that, I should tell you how I got into spoken word and slam. Um, So I had never, I had no point of reference for spoken word or slam until I was in my like early teen years, I think it was like 15. Um, and my school had this thing called Writers' Week.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: Sierra de um, who is now my mentor, but at the time, I didn't know who she was. And the only context at the time I had for Slam was that people, like, snapped and maybe wore berets. That was, like, all I really knew about what was that. About yeah. <laughs> Um, But so, yeah. But anyway, she was performing at my school. And I was real sick at the time. I had, I had just been in... Um, in rehab and I had been missing from school for like three months it was my first day back at school and I almost was gonna skip the period to go like see this period during writer's week but then I was like fuck it I'll go writer's week for sure so anyway but I saw Sierra de Mulder perform and I one of the first poems that I saw her do was called Anna, and it was about anorexia. And two of the lines in it were the first one that that has stayed rattled within me ever since I heard it was, um, your body is not a temple. Your body is the house you grew up in. How dare you try to burn it to the ground. And then the other one was to the mothers of Hollywood, the red carpet and the 10 pounds the camera adds, how will your daughter ever learn to love her body if she's forced to watch you wring out yours? And mind you, I absolutely bs my way through recovery, um, through the program, through my rehab, blah, blah, blah. blah. Um, and so hearing her say that, multiple things happened. The first thing that happened is, I won't go so far as to say that poem made me want made me recover but it was the first thing that ever made me think that recovery could somehow seem more desirable than suffering i had never thought about that before so mm-hmm. i heard that and also just the way she was performing all of her poems i was like i don't know what she's doing but whatever that is like that's what i want to do cuz that made me feel something that made me almost like ha- like leave my skin to enter her world and then be able to see something differently. And I had never known anything that was able to do that for me before, much less poetry because my exposure to poetry previous to that had just been like old dead white dudes who wrote about nature that I thought was boring. So yeah, that was the first time, you know, that big recovery milestone happened for me where I saw some, that as being more desirable than hurting, but also like where I saw that there was something, this tool, this, this, Performance, whatever, that was able to affect people in a way that statistics couldn't, that like anything else, any doctor, anybody was trying to say to me couldn't. So I was like, again, whatever she's doing, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but so it's important, I think, for people to know that I learned poetry and writing through the context of spoken word. I always understood it as like something you were going to put in front of people at some point. Um, So that colored a lot of the way that I would think about writing. But anyway, so how that uh, learning poetry then transitioned to how I got involved in it was so for that whole year after that, I like didn't even really follow spoken word or slam. I just followed that person. I just followed Sierra de Mulder on all of her stuff. And I was like, you know, big fan, big fan. And then I saw she was teaching at this slam poetry camp. And I had never been to camp before, save for camp invention, which was not a sleepaway camp, but I wanted to be an engineer for a long time. So I went to like a day camp when I was younger a lot. But um anyway, so so I convinced my parents to let me go to slam camp. That was like my first time really writing poems or anything like that. And that week I learned so much and learned um, I saw what other poets were doing that I liked and that I didn't like and was like gathering notes on that to develop what I wanted to present to the world. And then really after slam camp, And I was, like, the kind of high schooler, the kind of, like, kid who, like, nothing honestly really mattered to me. Like, I don't really care about anything. But once I started writing and learning about poetry, everything began to matter because I was going to write about it. It all had to be important because all of it was something. So it made me be a lot more observant. And it made me think in an entirely shifted lens. Like, I wasn't just thinking about my eating disorder. I was thinking about the intersection of my eating disorder with other things. I was thinking about what... Where is the tension? Like, um, what can I say that hasn't been said before? But beyond that, what do I need to process? And I realized like I was so floored by the reactions around my eating disorder, how I was regarded as a literal celebrity at my school for my weight loss, and how much that made me think. Like, this is where my worth is. This is where I found out how to be valuable. It was very hard not to attribute everything positive that began to happen in my life to my eating disorder. Um, But I noticed that. And and instead of just seeing that for, like, surface value, like, whatever, I, like, began to kind of zoom out and think about, like, the larger context of that. Um, And that was true with everything else that was going on in my life. I began to zoom out a little bit and, like, see... um, where things connected where I was trying to say something about something specific so that was really how I got involved in poetry and yeah so does it if that answers the question
0: yeah and I absolutely love the approach you take to your poetry because it really challenges the listener in terms of what has been acceptable Uh, we have such a you know black and white thinking about recovery like if you're suffering from eating disorder, like you are sick, you are wrong, you are bad. But then understanding like the society that has molded the behaviors is condoning this look,
1: not just condoning it, but promoting it. Like I, I straight up, I suffered with like, you know, weight issues and self esteem issues my whole life. However, I don't even I don't know if I would have developed an eating disorder if it weren't for tumblr.com, if it weren't for pro-Anna, if it weren't for the displaying of anorexia as this brilliant lifestyle choice that can fix your life, the presentation, I think, has everything to do with it too. And that's almost a very modern thing in a weird way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know for, we have very similar stories in the sense, like I struggled my whole weight, my whole life with my weight And because I also suffered a lot from depression, like mental illness stuff in my mind, I thought that if I'd solved my weight, then Mm -hmm. my depression would also be alleviated. Like in my mind, it was this package of like, when my body is good, then I'm going to be happy because right now I'm depressed and look at my body. And that is why it's understanding like, you know, like, okay, they're actually not the same issue. You know, like it's, my body is not separate. Yeah. And yet in our I we tend to, you know, the before picture, they're all sad looking in the after picture. They're smiling and happy and in
1: our society. We say your life can't start until you get skinny. That's when your life can start. And so that's the narrative we're fed. beyond fed, like that's the narrative that is like absolutely forced down ourselves in a way where like I struggle to find anyone who didn't fall into that narrative who didn't I know one person I know who never struggled with weight or body image issues who never had that and I think about how rare that is how I've met one person one girl I suppose in my entire life who never struggled with that and like it's just it's just wild to think of how common I I don't know if that's a word, commonalized, commonized that is, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Sure. We'll go with that. No problem. Yeah.
0: I mean, we can do whatever we want,
1: really. Whatever. I mean. There are no rules.
0: <laughs> but yeah, okay. with that, it's like, and so in your, in your YouTube video, which is the first one that I found and I found out about you is when the fat girl gets skinny and because I'd struggled with my weight and because I was working in the corporate environment in the beauty industry and I came into it overweight and I sat at my desk at lunch, no one would talk to me. And I felt like a total freak show. And I came in, you know, like with the flood pants, like the business suit, like just, you know, like just terrible. And everyone there was like, you know, fashionable, you know, like designer clothing. And so when I remember watching your video, I literally, I sat on the floor and actually straight up cried Mm -hmm. because it was the first time in my recovery that I actually felt understood. Mm-hmm. Going from this, you know, like when the fat girl gets skinny and not understanding, so many people don't understand, like, it wasn't me getting healthier. It was me getting sicker. And if people had right. the inverse. And they went from invisible to, you know, like, how did you do that? You look amazing. Right. You look nice. And it just encourages and encourages and encourages until it became my identity. Mm-hmm. And, it like, how and like you say, you know, if you develop an eating disorder when you're already thin to begin with, you go to the hospital. If you develop an eating disorder when you're not thin to begin with, you're a success story. I was like, fuck, that mm-hmm. was me. And it just hit. And it, again, so hard because in my mind, if I was skinny and the depression, and the happiness, like it was all this bundle package, mm-hmm. I was being seen and I was being acknowledged and I was in this thin body. And I did have moments of happiness in that mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I was being seen as beautiful. And right. so it becomes this very tangled thing that is so hard to unweave and I love how you speak to that and you acknowledge that in your poetry that mm. you know, it's okay to have those feelings because we do live in this type of a society that praises mm-hmm.
1: it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for saying that and um, I'm sorry that it affected you the way that it did and I'm glad that you felt seen in that. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's kind of wild because that poem started out as actually an entirely different poem. It was called, She Doesn't Need to See the Menu. I wrote it when I was still a teenager. Um, I guess I did the edit for When the fucker I Was Skinny when I was also still a teenager, but um, I wrote it originally when I was 17. She doesn't need to see the menu. And the only lines that I kept from it was the one you just said. Um, Mm -hmm. And also if you're not recovering, you're dying. Those were the only two bits because I realized the original draft was actually about my first encounter with anorexia was watching my best friend growing up get sick. We were both fat. And Mm -hmm. then she got an eating disorder when we were about 12. Um, And I watched her get sick and it was like, I, I was very repulsed at the time by it. I felt very afraid for her. Um, I didn't envy her. I felt scared for her. And mm-hmm. then um, and then over time, that kind of curdled into a little bit of jealousy over her because she could do it and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And um, then I realized, like, the original poem I wrote was about watching her get sick and recognizing these parallels between, like, like for her, it was that like her mother specifically, um, I'm sure also the kids at school, but we went to different schools, but our mothers were very close. And um, her mom would very much praise, her weight loss would very much like, want her to run the track during recess instead of go play because like her weight was such a problem to be solved in their family or whatever so I saw that happen before it happened to me so that was the original draft but then like when I revisited the poem too like I began to further examine how part of why I wrote it originally was because of how I related to it later and like how I saw that happen with me, I saw that happen with how my peers celebrated me. I saw myself go from in my eyes and I think others at the time of someone who wasn't worth looking at to someone who was worth paying attention to. And I think our culture really demonizes the idea of being attention seeking. But like everyone wants attention. Oh my God, how could you not? Like what? Like so... You know, so to be, like, suddenly relevant, like, to see the very – it was so hard to not directly conflate that with my eating disorder, to be like, this happened because of this. But I think another thing was that I moved differently after I was sick because, like – Even though, in a lot of ways, I still saw myself as fat, I still was also able to recognize my extreme weight loss and to recognize other people's reactions to it and Mm -hmm. to internalize all of this as positive, all of this as a journey to a larger path where I can then start my life because apparently only thin people are allowed to have a life, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and um, so, yeah, but I think that within realizing that I was being so celebrated for my weight loss, Eventually, like that became kind of hollow for me because I was like, you guys didn't give a fuck about me. Like you did not give a fuck until this became the thing that's relevant. And so I started to kind of be a little bit critical of that. And I think the only thing that like kind of like started to mold two things that started to kind of mold me out of that mindset was a with poetry, like seeing people specifically Sierra, but other people too, talk about. I could see a version of reality where m- my eating disorder didn't give me worth. I could see them talking about a version of reality where, where numbers didn't rule everything and it was positive mm-hmm. and it was good. And so like to see that, to like be able to see that in comparison to like all of the pro shit I consumed was mm-hmm. like wild because I was like, maybe there's something that's better that I can't see because of what I've allowed myself to consume in terms of media and in terms of like what I search out. So that was the first thing. And then the other thing that really impacted my recovery, because I was really on and off with recovery, even when that poem came out, even when, when the fact we get skinny came out, I had like started to be in that mindset, but I hadn't fully embraced recovery at all. But I saw a reality in which I could. Um, but it was kind of hard because a lot of people, as soon as that poem came out, really like regarded me as this recovery guru, which like, Mm -hmm. I've never been a spokesperson for anything. I just talked about things that other people are afraid to, which is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, but doesn't make me an expert or like, uh, you know, but Mm -hmm. so anyway, um, but I think the other thing that eventually like really truly held me accountable to recovery was like seeing the reactions to my poem, people like you, people who were like, this tethered me, this like made me see, And, like, for me to realize that what I had originally written about, because I felt like it was such an uncommon experience, something that me and only my best friend growing up, like, had shared kind of, like, blah, 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 to see how honestly universal it is. How, like, honestly, anyone who didn't start off thin, like, was celebrated for their weight loss, regardless of how they achieved it, like... For a long time, like I get fucking like 60 year olds messaging me sometimes saying like that poem took me out because that was my experience too. I'm like, oh, this is a timeless idea that is still being infiltrated in our society and our life. And um, but when I saw specifically when I was a counselor at slam camp, I be- a couple several years later became a counselor at the same fl- camp I originally started writing at. And mm-hmm. I saw how these like kids fucking a lot of them would hold my words like they like how I held Sierra's words, like how I held those two words about anorexia in the beginning um, and how that, that for them was this glimmer. And I was like, oh, I have a responsibility. And even though like some people might say that's like a little bit messed up to like have some of my recovery at that time hinge upon the fact other people were looking up for me, I'm under the belief of like, whatever works boo. And for me, like knowing other people were looking up to me is what made me be like, I have to practice what I preach. I have to, I have to recover. And that because I never want them to look at me and see an example that they can't follow because they already are. So I think the intensity of that really pushed me to, um, recover as well as I could. Cause I didn't want to present to them, a a false version of recovery. I wanted to portray the reality of it and I wanted them to see that there are so many things that everything else in the world can give them that their eating disorder couldn't. Um, so that made yeah. me really realize it.
0: And it's that glimmer, right? It's that, and I know one of my my therapists said to me, they're like, if five or 10 pounds of difference was between you being happy again in your life, would it be worth it? And at that point I had no exposure in my life to see what was possible for being had a different area in recovery. Mm -hmm. Like the thing I'd experienced was like thin people are good. Wait, like, yeah. Like you even say, you know, like full is scary and like empty is safe. And that's the only thing I knew. So someone telling me like, Oh, a couple pounds might be the difference. I couldn't even imagine that. So when you have that glimmer, whether it be, yeah, like, your work or you find someone else like Sierra or someone who can be like, Hey, this is possible. And this is what it could look like. And just giving you evidence and just giving totally. that anchor for you. Yeah. It's life changing because otherwise you're so deep in that hole and you don't, you can't even see out. It's like someone's like shining like a little flashlight being like, Hey, there is a life up here. You can come and join yeah. us. And it's going to be scary, but like, we're going to help you we've done totally. it before, like come with us kind of situation. Mm-hmm. And how would you say like you really navigated your recovery in a society that is so obsessed with weight loss? Was it was really sticking into having those mentors or was it more like in the spoken word and having people um, really lean into that and feel encouraged by their words about your recovery or what was kind of like an anchor for you to navigate through?
1: I think the anchor was realizing that there was that and this happened i think shortly after i started my poetry started like being received i just realized that there were larger things i needed to do and i could literally do none of them on an empty stomach because i didn't have the energy and and i and i knew like i had a whole world to change like i have to i like have to be able to articulate this because I see how it matters. And I, and that was the other thing too, is like, even though I learned writing as performance, because that was how I was first exposed to that. I also, when I first started writing, re- honestly, never expected people to read it. So like then when they did, and that when that was then important to them, I was like, oh, I have this responsibility. And so I think like feeling the serious of seriousness of that, but also I think just the idea that, yeah, realizing that I couldn't do any of the things I wanted to do if I didn't have the energy to do them. At first, I had to think very practically about it like that, like where it's like literally A plus B cannot equal C if I don't do B, like blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, And then later it became more like nuanced and like more casual or chill, I suppose. But like at first it was like I've always been a very, like, productivity and goal-oriented person, which I think a lot of people with eating disorders are. And then I realized, I'm like, I just can't do what I need to do if I'm starving. I just can't. Like, that logistically can't happen. And so to realize that, like, my ability to make an impact on this world Flash anyone's ability to make this in, an impact on this world is so wildly eclipsed and hindered by an eating disorder to learn to look at it as an inconvenience rather than something that serves me um changed everything for me because I'm like oh you're actually eating sir, you're actually the enemy you're actually not helping me so that was like I think the biggest thing for me
0: yeah and you do so much powerful work and you you need the actual calorie energy to be able to do that kind of stuff. And so you speak really openly as well about rape and there is a strong correlation as sexual assault, as, you know, a catalyst for developing an eating disorder. And as a society, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about sexual assault or really about eating disorders for that matter, except when sometimes it's like, Oh, the skinny girl looking in the mirror and we really kind of Mm -hmm. glamorize it in a way. So how for you has, yeah, being able to actually fuel your body so you can speak about these things, you know, why do you think it's so important to share so openly and candidly candidly about rape and eating disorders?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um, I think a lot of people, you know, have a correlation between their eating disorders and being assaulted. Um, for me, I haven't fully been able to concretely identify that connection yet. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it still exists very separately in my mind because like I had struggled with weight and body image and all of that long before I had ever been assaulted. I had struggled with that since I was very, very young and Mm -hmm. I hadn't been assaulted until I was like 17 for the first year, 16. Um, And so it wasn't a cat, my eating disorder was not a result or prequel to my assault. However, like I think that the disempowerment that comes from both of them have a lot of commonalities and themes um in terms of like what I have been taught and then had to unstitch about what I deserve Mm -hmm. um but uh in terms of why I think it's important to talk about both of them is that Again, it's, like, something that originally I wasn't talking about because I wanted to start a conversation. I was just trying to, like, process myself and mm-hmm. what I had been through. But then, again, like, seeing other people see themselves in it and seeing this exist as, a, as larger narratives outside of myself. Um, I I think over time I realized I'm, like, I want to talk about this because it's I need to for myself. But also I want to talk about this because, like, other people are other people who have not gotten to a place where they can speak are like living through seeing me speak and the fact that like i have been able to learn how to separate like being triggered by from performing in a lot of ways um the fact that i feel like i have the emotional capacity to go on stage and talk about these things i think is something that is hard to accumulate and I think that some people eventually will and some people might never and so they will still like live vicariously through people who can and I'm like whatever happened that allowed me to be able to feel like I can do that I don't know what that is but like whatever like let me feel freer when I go on stage versus feeling more constricted or more vulnerable um is something that I have to do like, because I can and so many people can't. And um, so I think it's important too, because like, again, I'll always think about seeing Sierra's poems, how hearing someone talk about it, how that unlocked something for me, that that was almost, even if that wasn't what was responsible solely for my recovery, it was responsible for me feeling like I could talk about it me feeling like I could I could talk about it without it having to be like a burden or whatever it's like oh you're brave you're just up there talking about what you went through like and Mm -hmm. that I could be with that I could relate to but I think also part of that goes in with like my personality I've always been a performer I've always like been Mm -hmm. you know like very comfortable like being in front of people um in that way and so but the hard thing was like when I first started doing poetry wanting to be very selective about who got to see me like that like I didn't want my parents to read my poems I didn't want like you know like that any of that kind of thing to happen I just wanted like the this elusive internet to see it that I didn't have to like fully understand or interact with Mm -hmm. um but now like I feel more comfortable with it because I think about a lot how Demi Lovato shaped my shit Demi Lovato like the fact that I was at her concert a while ago and her opener Kalani was talking about how Demi Lovato shares her darknesses in order to give other people light, like deeply resonated with how I feel about Demi Lovato and what she's done for me and like how I feel a lot of times, like my poetry can do for other people. And like, you know, Anytime, the fact that Demi Lovato was so candid and so open about what she was going through, like that, made me realize that you can do that without losing your power. That like being publicly vulnerable doesn't make you less um, credible, I suppose. So yeah, yeah,
0: I know for myself, being yeah very high achieving my whole life and thinking yeah, once I'm in a different body, I'm going to feel good, I'm going to feel loved. I really had a struggle with trying to always come off like everything's perfect, everything's fine, paint a really pretty picture. And then wondering why I couldn't connect with people and wondering why I felt so isolated. Mm-hmm. So people don't connect with perfect, they connect with imperfect and the more we share vulnerabilities yeah. and our flaws. And so, yeah, like we connect with like Demi, we connect with people like you who are speaking their truth. And even if we can't even find the words for myself, initially I couldn't find those words. And so your poetry hit me on so many levels. I was like, fuck, this is exactly how I feel. Someone Mm. sees me, someone hears me. And when you can connect with that, like that is healing. That is powerful because all of a sudden went from being a secret shameful behavior to being like, oh my God, I'm not alone in this. And she, Mm -hmm. I can get through it. And like the power of those words, like you can't even, you can't even grasp that.
1: totally totally and like I think like and for me too like when I think about the people I look up to with it it's like partially so thankful like yes I'm not alone but also like to see an example of like someone who will talk about it who will say it you know like who like is okay with that and like is not letting anyone else tell them that they're less relevant for that like very much owning that that's so powerful to me too because I'm like damn like yeah absolutely and
0: again thank you for the work you're yes, doing today. You. I it's appreciate not it. easy to be vulnerable and put yourself out there so like acknowledging that you you do that and it's like almost like this public service that you're providing mm-hmm. and you're making you're like you're leaving such a legacy you're making such an impact on so many lives um though so I just yeah I wanted to thank you for that in general
1: thank you no, I really appreciate that that's special to hear thank you
0: So I really believe that in recovery, that empathy and connection are essential for healing. And when we see ourselves in someone else's story, you know, we feel heard and less alone. We start to have that hope for our future and then things start to really shift. So for you, have you found that sharing your story was healing?
1: It's interesting because both with rape and with my eating disorder, so healing at first, so healing to talk about and to perform about. The first time I performed any of those poems um, was a lot of times the first time I was you know, speaking about it in front of more than one person. And I think that originally that was so empowering to me because it was this way to let my experiences live outside of my body. I didn't have to carry them anymore. I could give them to a room full of people that I didn't have to worry about, that I could leave afterward Um, and it was okay. Um, I think over time, what's like kind of interesting is that like, I still love to perform. I still love to do my old poems. That's totally fine. Um, but I think what, what I've been starting to realize is that the only really detriment to doing that, that was, that I can't say is 100% empowering, is that like, things that I can, as a person, move on from. I can't because I have to talk about it all the time because I have to do the poems again. I have to. And if I don't do the poems again, then people are sad that they didn't hear their favorite poem Mm -hmm. or like, um, in in interviews and stuff. I love talking about recovery. love talking about, you know, all of that stuff. But I also think about like how I force it to live at the forefront of my brain because of this, like almost brand of like empowerment and recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, again, always empowering in the sense, like, to know that, like, it's resonating with other people, that it's helping them. But also in terms of, like, for myself, I think that, like, it makes it difficult to transition to other topics because people, like, either A, like, want me to write more about about this thing, you know, like, that, like, writing about it always forces it to come forward in your brain. And mm-hmm. so, um, I think, like, that a little bit of a tether uh, is just strange to navigate. Yeah, I think that it's just strange. It's just, like, something that I didn't ever expect to experience because I never expected, like, people to be, like, please do the poem about the music." please do that, you know, like, or, like, any of that. But also, like, I think that part of that just goes along with, like, How, like, fame in spoken word is so different than fame in any other venue. Because if you're like an actor or actress, people are like, oh, I love that part you played. I love that character. I love how well you embodied this person that's not you and then spoke a word or slam it's like oh I love what you've been through like I love you know what I mean well not exactly like that a lot of people you know they relate so it's like the same yeah. thing but like in general it's like I love your life experiences because I see myself in it which I think creates two things that occur one is that like I think poets like learn to find their value and when they're a mirror for other people when they're most valuable is when other people see themselves in them which can make them very afraid to write about things that other people might not see themselves in Um, like this need to be relatable beyond that it's just uh, a little bit strange to like have to have something be so central to your life that for a lot of people once they got over it like it wouldn't have to be so central Mm -hmm. Um, but with poetry it's just different and that's okay that's like just how poetry works but like it's kind of wild because when I was writing most of the poems that and mind you side note when the faculty gets skinny the only reason that became a poem the reason that became a different poem from she doesn't need to see the menu was because Mm -hmm. i was about to go compete i was about to go to nationals and Mm -hmm. i had you have to have three every person has to have at least three ready three minute poems for nationals and i had to and I didn't have a third. And so I was like, fuck, I need to edit an old poem to make it ready because I don't have time to write a new one. And that's why I revisited that poem. And I'm so glad I did because there was so much more I needed to process with it and whatnot. Um, But at the same time, like, that poem was revisited because I knew I was going to be in front of people. um, And There's, I think, a certain weird responsibility with slam and spoken word that, like, used to not exist, then became very prevalently in existence and now is, like, kind of weaning out. But, like, this idea of, like, you have to put your suffering on stage, I think it's really hard because of the way that even though slam is not a trauma Olympics, I so see why people say that. I so understand. And, And in some ways it is. And like, um, and I think that for people who haven't been through a lot of trauma, it makes them grasp at straws to have something worth writing about, to, worth writing about. And then for people who have been through a lot of trauma, it makes them rip off their scars to get the poem because they, they know what does well. And like a lot of people, who, there's an intersection between people with eating disorders, spoken word poets, performers, that kind of thing where it's like to have to hurt in front of people is um, this weird um, thing that just is there. And um, so the weird parallel that I guess I'm trying to make is like being rewarded for my eating disorder when I first had it by just my peers before spoken word poetry became a thing in my life to then later be rewarded for my recovery by strangers um. Just this correlation between a cause and effect, between a what you deserve and what you get, and like what um, and how it just manifests in different ways as time goes on is really strange. Is really wild. Um, and part of the reason I, I mean, I started off in acting. I was in a Netflix movie and like in Divergent, and like whatever. Did a bunch of acting stuff, bunch of short films, and grew frustrated with it because I was tired of like playing characters that were handed to me I wanted to like perform my experiences but then realizing you become like a character that you play in a very that for a lot of people can become a one-dimensional way and I think about it I'm going on a tangent but I think about it with how I think about Demi Lovato how this person who barely, but somewhat knows I exist because she liked some of my tweets on Twitter and we met once. Mm -hmm. Um, But this person who otherwise doesn't know of my existence is such an integral character and the choices I make and the life that I live and like stuff Mm -hmm. like that. Like to see like um, that carry over to others like with me is super, it's just super bizarre, honestly. Um, But I, I wouldn't trade it It's beautiful because it's made me realize the importance of my experiences and the fact that, again, like, not everybody can talk about it. And, like, um, I can go on stage and talk about it and be okay. And a lot of people can't. But it's this kind of tether to a responsibility where it's, like, because I can do that, because I can, I should, which, like, isn't always the case, if that makes sense. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's amazing. And
0: thank you for saying that because I think for a lot of people – who do share their story. Um, it is mixed feelings about it sometimes. And, you know, is this now my new identity or is this who I've become? And when I speak it, it's like, we do kind of get a choice how we want to live with what we do. And you've made the choice, like, yeah, make this public and make this, um, make talking about this my my path. But for other people who do just want to like share and feel supported in recovery doesn't necessarily mean that has to become that huge part of your life as well.
1: Totally, totally.
0: And if someone's listening right now and they're like, okay, you know what, this is that glimmer I needed. I'm really
1: identifying.
0: I'm ready to take your
1: glimmer, baby, take the glimmer and
0: run with it. And I want to make a change. You know, they want to really step into recovery. What would you say is that first step for them? If they're listening, they're like, you know what, it's my time.
1: I think the number one thing is that, and I hope they can apply this to themselves, but I'll just speak for me, is that my eating disorder was never, in all the things I thought it gave me, it was never able to give me anything that I was actually looking for, that I actually wanted, that I actually mm-hmm. craved. Um, the And even if that was just on a surface level like attention, that attention wasn't what I it wasn't the attention I wanted. It wasn't like what my core spirit is looking for, you know? Like, and I think that can be true for anyone is that to know that like, there's never actually in like the pro Anna, you need to sort of lay a light at the end of the tunnel. There's never this one point where you're like, now I've made it, now I'm thin, now it's good. It do, you just don't get there. It just doesn't happen. There is no satisfied. So to know that like whatever goal you're striving for within your eating disorder can't be achieved, doesn't exist. You have to reroute. You have to do something different. Um, and I think the other thing is like, if you can't do it for yourself right now, I think there's a lot of pressure on people to if you're going to recover, you have to do it for yourself. You have to find it within yourself to want that for yourself. I think a lot of people can't get there right away. And I think a lot of people like benefit from, I mean, a lot of my recovery was started because I saw the value that I needed to do that for other people, both for people in my regular life, like my baby cousins, my fucking, like whatever people who were looking up to me um, or people who just cared about me. If you have to start recovering because you don't want to let someone else down at first, like that's okay. Like whatever works, like whatever gets you to eat that day is good. Um, Eventually it can become for yourself. But if right now you're not ready, if right now you can't find that value in yourself, fine. If it's for someone else at first, if that's what gets you to eat breakfast, do it. Cool. Eventually you can get to a point where it's within yourself, but if that's not where it starts, that's okay.
0: Yeah. Cause I know for myself initially, like, it's. It was really like I hate myself, and so that was like the foundation of my eating disorder. Was like I don't think I am good enough as I am, so I must change. And so in recovery, that's like you said, you sometimes have to put it outside of yourself in order to get started. Because for me, if I'm already coming from a place of I hate myself. Then my first step is in, I'm going to do something to love myself. Like I can't mm-hmm. get there. And so totally. what was pivotal for me was bringing in support, like. Talking to people, and that started out with like a 3 a.m. call to a hotline, um mm-hmm. and just offloading and sharing. And then like that was my first time; it was like outside of me and someone caring. And then bringing in my mom and bringing in other people so that it wasn't just me. And I mm-hmm. can hear my mom's voice on the phone, being like, "How was your day?" And like so, not wanting to disappoint her, mm-hmm. even though it became very much like, hey, I'm doing this for me now. I feel good. I had to, in the beginning, really anchor that into other people's expectations mm-hmm. of myself because I wasn't able to get there on my own.
1: Totally. Totally. That makes me think of like, whenever I ask now Sierra, who again, became my mentor, like advice for anything. One of the questions she'll always pose to me is like, what, what would you do if you left yourself? Like, what would you do? And I'm like, whoa! And every time it causes me to think about the thing totally differently, mm-hmm. um, because then my values are all placed different. And uh, yeah, but I think that, I think that it's portrayed a lot in recovery that again, if it's not something you came to for yourself, one hundred percent yourself, like one whatever, then it's like not valid but like that's just not realistic for a lot of people that's something a lot of people have to like step on stones to get to and to like act like that's the starting point is daunting yeah. um so i think like breaking it into these steps of like what gets you through each meal is just something a lot of people realistically have to do to get to the point that that is mainstream regarded as valid is like you, you know, do it for yourself. But there's like a lot of steps, I think, in between that for so many people. Um, And I think that's ignored a lot um, and discredited or disregarded when it shouldn't be and is just as valid and okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you make it too big of a task, it's overwhelming, daunting, especially because there's a huge mourning process of this identity. And so if it's all of a sudden, it's like, I'm going from, I hate my body and I want to change it to like, no, I love it. It's like, okay, that right. is not at all realistic and to, okay, today I'm going to do X, Y, Z, or I'm going to talk to this person on a hotline, or I'm going to write about it, or I'm going to like making it very manageable bite-sized, ironically, bite-sized mm-hmm. little steps in recovery, because otherwise it's just too overwhelming to go from, I am this person, I am this person, like it's too mm-hmm. black and white.
1: And that's- totally
0: very scary
1: so and like I think for a lot of people that can start like the first step to that can start with just deciding what you want to love more than you hate your body Mm
0: -hmm. what is
1: it you know like Mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of people that answer it first comes easily because there's a lot of things people want to love um but then putting it next to like more than you hate your body and having to really examine like Mm
0: -hmm. where you're
1: placing value I think is important
0: yeah. Focusing. So like, I know for myself, focusing on what I would gain in recovery and focusing on what, I, instead of what I was quote unquote giving up. And so like, I'm getting the life back. I'm getting to do all these things. Like you said, I can show up in the world so much more and do the things cool. I actually even do that I can't do on empty stomach. I'm giving up this body and everything's going to be shit now and recovery is going to be like the worst. And it's like, no, there is these glimmers, and you can find these people who like will show you like yeah, it's hard, but it's fucking worth it. Like your life is gonna. And be- there are just
1: things that are so much more fun than being thin, like yeah. than that you know. There's just more fun in the world, like than that. The things are more satisfying. Like mm-hmm. um, that being thin just could never even scratch the surface of the satisfaction of you know. So. Mm-hmm.
0: I was just straight up hangry. I was just like a hangry, not, I couldn't do anything. And I wasn't enjoyable to be around because I was on edge and anxious. Like I was not happy at all, despite, you know, being told that I would be once I got to like X amount of weight, which your eating are going to tell you that there's some kind of a magic finish line,
1: but there mm-hmm. isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I learned on Tumblr so much of like the UGW, like the ultimate goal weight that then you would like feel mm-hmm. good. And I'm like, I would get to them and then I would be like, well, I still hate myself. So like, this wasn't it. This wasn't it. It couldn't be it. There mm-hmm. had to be something else.
0: Exactly. And so with that said, if you had to weigh in on one thing that you think makes people happy, what would you say that is?
1: Mm, um, I think that... I find it really difficult to weigh in on what in general like can make people happy because I think it's just so different for everybody like mm-hmm. and it makes me think of uh, my one of my favorite co-workers at my job was talking about she was like if you got to like the gates of heaven like what would be like the first thing you would want like whatever manifestation of God you believe in if any like what would you want them to say to you and it was interesting to me because for her she was like I want to be told like You're right. And for me, like, I want to be told, like, I get it. Like, you're understood. And so for me, I think a lot of my happiness comes from being able to articulate myself in a way, and this is both in poetry and just in real life in conversation, like, where I feel understood, where I feel like I got that across, but not just that, like, got whatever I wanted to say across, but also understood what the other person was saying. I think to understand and be understood is like very integral to my happiness. I feel very unsettled if I feel misunderstood or if I feel super confused by something someone else said, I always want to pick at it until I um, really understand. And um, but I think that like in general, if I were to put in general, like what makes people happy, I think like a lack of pressure is what makes people Mm -hmm. feel happy is like there's no specific timeline or way to be exactly, like, who or what you want to be. Like, there's no right or wrong answer. There's just your answer. There's just your, no right or wrong way, just your way. Um, I think that idea, the idea of feeling free, even if you're, like, not technically, a um, feeling, like, I could choose to leave this. I could choose to let this consume me. I could choose a lot of things, but it's still going to be my choice. The autonomy of that, um, to be able to pick what you want. um, And even if it's wrong, have that play out and then make a different choice. It's all a big choose your own adventure novel, I'll say.
0: I love that. I used to love those adventure novels when I was a kid. Like that was just the coolest thing and you had that freedom to choose and decide and you were empowered in that. And I love that answer. And I think yeah, the opposite of an eating disorder is freedom. And so really leaning into that and making that a huge part of this new kind of part of your life um, is absolutely essential and something that is that glimmer of hope for people. So
1: Mm -hmm. thank you.
0: And so where can people find you? Because obviously they want to I can't even explain like you guys you need to go and check her out and read her book and watch her on youtube and the poems and everything um just so well spoken and yeah understood (laughs) on so many levels so where can they where can they find you
1: yeah so um my book is available through button poetry amazon most everywhere books are sold you can walk into most everywhere barnes and noble and get it whatever um and then if you want to order it online or just check out more about my stuff, you can go to www.blythebayard.com. And then my Instagram is at Blythe Bayard, B-L-Y-T-H-E-B-A-I-R-D. And then my Twitter is at Blythe underscore Bayard. And um, I have Tumblr, but I don't really use it anymore. Um, and then if anyone wants to email me about anything, they can email Blythe at Gmail
0: amazing and i'll put that all in the show notes below so it's super easy for you guys to access you didn't have to like worry about writing all that down um, because you definitely want to go and check it out so thank you so so much for coming on today truly um i can't even say enough how much you helped me in my own recovery and so i'm super grateful for you and all the work that you do
1: thank you so much thank you so much for having me it's been a blast and i hope that people find healing in
0: Hey you guys, thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode with Blythe. Her work was absolutely instrumental in my recovery and so I definitely invite you to check her out. If you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, then please rate and review. It really helps me to get in front of more people and I would truly appreciate it. Additionally, if you want some more information on my coaching, I'm an intuitive eating coach and I help women stop food, fear and guilt so that they can eat effortlessly. Then please check out my website, www.victoriaevansofficial.com. I'll give you all the information on my one-on-one coaching program or you can also find me on Instagram at Victoria Evans official. I am very active there. And finally, you can also find me on Facebook and my Facebook group, which is intuitive eating support group for a badass woman. So find all of that as well in the show notes below. And until next week, you guys, I hope you have a fabulous day. Bye-bye.